Welcome to Behind the Curtain, LA Opera's podcast series in which we look deeply at the creative process and explore opera's enduring themes and power to move us. I'm James Conlon, welcoming you to join me as we embark on a journey that has tremendous significance for me and for the Los Angeles Opera. This podcast is part of a four-part presentation that accompanies Los Angeles Opera's rebroadcast of Richard Wagner's The Ring of the Nibelungen. Instead of the more conventional podcasts, we feature four recordings of live pre-performance talks as I gave them in 2010. They have all of the virtues and vices of live performance, just as any live opera itself would have. Interruptions, technical issues with musical excerpts, even the occasional mistake. Although there were sporadic performances of Ring operas performed by visiting companies, the 2009-2010 Ring was the first ever produced in Los Angeles. I hope the excitement which we all felt, public and performers alike, will bear up well under the microscope of the microphone and will be an enjoyable adjunct to your journey through this monumental work. Good afternoon, back for more. I presume some of you were there last night. Enough time to get home and rest up for today. That's what I did, basically. This is the great second movement of this great four-part drama, this great four-part symphony. This is love tonight. You're gonna get a lot of love. That's why people like Valkyrie. Many people love Valkyrie. Remember yesterday was expository. It was all about power. And remember, I've set up a few, I'm gonna be a little bit repetitious. I have a great model in that because Wagner is extremely repetitious. He's a lot better at it so that every time he repeats it, it has another, another layer. Yesterday was power. Today is love. Power and love are diametrically opposed in the ring, as good and evil are on a very basic level. All that's good for power is bad for love. All that's good for love is bad for power. And most of our characters are going to fall by their attraction to power to whatever degree anybody is redeemed in this opera. It's because of love. The world will have to start over again after Goethe Demerung, but today we're not, we're not that far. Now remember we're talking about the collective glue of this great work, it's musical. The musical part of the glue are the motifs, the light motifs, the leading motives that we talk about, which are the small cellular characteristic little bits of music, a chord, an interval, uh, a little melody that you're going to be hearing over and over and over again. And you're going to learn some new ones again today, but you're going to hear some of them that you, of course, already heard. And as Wagner introduces them into the ring, they will, of course, accumulate so that by the time we get to Goethe Demerung, we've got a whole lot of them. Remember, their ideas, feelings, they go beyond classification. They can be objects, the sword, the spear. They can be persons. Uh, Valhalla is a place, but it's actually associated with Wotan. The spear is his spear, but it's associated with Wotan. Uh, you heard the nature motive. Well, then from nature motive came the Rhine Maidens and came Erda. You're not going to see Erda, but you're going to see a lot of her progeny today. Now, family tree is very important, especially because this opera, everybody's related. <laughs> there isn't a single person here who is not related in one way or the other to Wotan. Now, how do I come to that conclusion? Well, basically, there's uh, six major characters. Wotan, of course, is the chief god. He has a wife, Fricka. He has also, as we know, mated with Mother Earth, Erda. We do not see her this time. She'll be back again later. He had with her, amongst other things, he had three Norns. But he had nine Valkyries. Now, Wagner loves three, three Rhine Maidens, in, starting in Rheingold, three Norns in Goethe-Dummerung, three times three, what do you get? 
nine Valkyries, of whom Brunhilde, of course, is the most important and the one we're going to concentrate on. So you've got all of these Valkyries, you're going to meet all of them in the third act, and then there is Brunhilde, who, of course, we're going to meet in the second act, and she be, she's very important. So she's his daughter, Wotan's daughter, by Erda, and in the first act, we're going to meet a man and a woman, a young man, a young woman, and they are going to fall in love, and they have no names at the beginning of the act, but by the end of the act, like the Garden of Eden, they are allowed to name each other, and they become Siegmund and Sieglinda, and they are brother and sister, and they are, of course, the children of Wotan by an unnamed, unseen mortal woman. Now we've got nine Valkyrie daughters of Wotan, twin male and female, daughter and son of Wotan. We've got Fricka, who's his wife, and we've got one guy who isn't a blood relative of Wotan. He's a terrible, brutal man. His name is Hunding, and he has forcefully married Sieglinde. So that makes him, by marriage, the son-in-law of Wotan. So it's a domestic drama, and that's important because we witnessed the first part of this big canvas, which is about power, and it's about the gods. Well, yesterday, what did we see? We saw the gods dealing with themselves and each other. We saw a race of giants who are, of course, human, but they're, we don't get a full human picture of them. And then there are all the dwarfs. There's Alberich and Mima and all the Nibelungen. We've got that, but now the human starts to invade the big cosmic story. So we have a story here that's partially still mythological and cosmic, but much more human because we don't think of Siegmund and Sieglinde as gods. They really aren't. They really are human, brought up in a human environment. More on that later. Okay, now we still have Fricka and Wotan. We're going to have domestic strife because Wotan and Fricka are going to be in conflict on a human level in the one sense. Fricka, of course, is not happy that Wotan continuously goes to the earth and mates with other women as Zeus did in Greek mythology, and keeps making lots and lots of children all over the place. She hates that. That's why she had him build Valhalla, so that he would stay there. But he hasn't stayed there. And when two of those children get out of hand, as Sieglinde and Siegmund do in a very big way, Fricka, of course, objects. And so part of her fight with Wotan in the second act is, your two children, Sieglinde and Siegmund, have mated with each other. Who has ever heard of such a thing? And he comes up with one of the funniest of Wagnerian lines. He says, you have today. The fact is, though, she's right and he's wrong. And Frick is going to argue with him, and she's going to win that argument because it is not just a wife and a husband carping over whether or not the husband should stay home or not. It is the goddess of home and hearth who is protecting the universal idea that there is a home and a hearth and it must be protected. And Wotan tries all sorts of getting around that, but even he, in the end, recognizes that if he contradicts his own laws, he and his purposes are doomed. Well, they're doomed anyway, but Fricka, of course, is a master at pointing that out, and so she wins that conflict. We're going to have overlapping two stories in one. We're going to follow the love story of erotic love, which is Siegmund and Sieglinde meeting each other, or I should say, refinding themselves and what happens to them. And then we're going to have another love story, which is the love between Wotan the father and his favorite daughter, Brunhilde, who isn't human yet. She is a Valkyrie. But she will become human, and the way she will become human, and to say an adult, is by doing what almost all of us had to do at one point or another, and that was we have to defy our parents' authority, and so she does. Now, he must punish her, and he punishes her, but with a heavy heart, but he therefore must 
release her. And in releasing her, she loses her status as God and she will become a human being. Is that bad news or good news? It's very sad news for Wotan. And of course, the farewell with Brunhilde is one of the most moving scenes in all of classical music. But it's good news for humanity because Brunhilde will bring this extra sense of wisdom about the cosmos. She's going to bring it into the world in the next opera when she wakes up in Siegfried. And she's going to bring it to fruition at the end of Goethe Demerung by, in essence, sacrificing the world so that it can start all over again. So you've got two stories. They're both love stories. One is vertical, Wotan Brunhilde. One is horizontal, Sieglinde Siegmund. The reuniting and the shocking character of the brother and sister twins who find themselves and will discover who they are and throw all caution, to say the least, to the winds and not care that they are brother and sister, that they will consummate their erotic love, is in fact not new. First of all, uh, the, it was a Greek idea, the two halves of the same soul. This is not two souls finding each other as Tristan and Isolde find each other. This is a single soul that has been cut in half and separated since childhood that is refinding itself. The genius of Wagner, and you may find his ideas reprehensible, however, the genius is that we don't, in the end, care if they're brother and a sister because this is not a roll in the hay. This is the uniting of a soul in love. One soul, two people united in love. We actually sympathize with Siegmund and Sieglinde, and of course Wagner has created in the first act of this opera probably one of the most perfectly constructed pieces of music as well as music drama ever written. Your hair should be standing up at the end of that act, even if you don't approve of it. And you get your chance in act two to punish them, because they will be punished, and they will be punished by the old Greek dramatic idea Arrogance, hubris, call it what you want. If you defy the gods, you will be punished, and punished they will be. Now, the taboo, of course, of incest is almost universal. And I say almost because you can go into Egyptian mythology and find it. You can go into Persian mythology and find it. It's not that new, and it's taboo in mythological terms. is not all that extraordinary. And if you really think it's only for other civilizations like Egypt and Persia, I want you to take a really, really careful, logical look at the Garden of Paradise and Eden and figure it all out. Because somewhere, somehow, something like that, up, it's mathematical. I'm not going to tell you, you figure it out. Okay. When we start this marvelous work, we are thrust into this drama with, guess what, nature again. Now we're in a storm. young man comes in. That young man, he's handsome and he has been pursued and he is at death's door because he has been running and he has run out of oxygen and he has run out of water. He collapses in this little home and of course that is going to become Zygmunt. We'll get to know him later. Now, another reminder is that Wagner, by using the leitmotif, expanded an entire new technique and gave it to the world of music drama. He also at the same time codified poetry with another system. We we spoke about it yesterday. It's called Stabreim. It is based on alliteration. It is based on the first sound of every line being the same. This gave Wagner increased flexibility for the length of his musical phrases. It was dogma. 
at a certain point in the classical world that a phrase had a certain length. We called it four bars. It was four square, so to speak. All of that, why? Because poetry was that way. Poetry was a certain number of lines, and that's too constricting for Wagner. He doesn't want to be constricted in terms of the length. He doesn't want to have to finish a phrase in order to start another. He's into transformations. He wants to not be limited by harmonic transformations. So he needs something that's open-ended at the end. So he defines it by the beginning. Now, Hunting is going to look at this young man who has shown up at his living room and he's going to see, wie gleich der dem Weiber, der gleißende Wurm, glänzt auch ihm aus dem Auge. You hear gleicht, gleißende glänzt. At the same time, you have a second one, and that is W, Weiber and Wurm. Then he takes the W and he runs with that. Weit her trauen kamst du des Wegs. So, weit and Wegs. Ein Ross nicht ritt, der Rast hier fand. Then he takes an R, Ross und Rast, and Ritt, and then welch schlimmer Pfade schufen dir Pein. Okay, so that's, follow that along, it's part of the music, all right? That is your poetic form, stop rhyme. So here's your storm. heard that at the end of the performance last night, you heard Donner, okay? That's Donner and his hammer. He's winding up. The storm is in full force. So the gods are watching what's going on. They see this young man running away and collapsing at the door of a, a, bag, of a very, very desolate hut. And here he comes. He's going to swing his hammer. There it is. Thunder. Lightning, second clap of thunder. Lightning. And here he comes now, here's Zygmunt. We're gonna, I'm gonna call him Zygmunt because we all know what name he's gonna have in the end. And there he is, exhausted, a transformation. Listen to the lower strings. transformation of the storm idea into exhaustion and by extension it will become one of Siegmund's motives. Now there, listen to two things. Listen to the cello basses going downward and the violins going up. One more time, the basses and cellos are Siegmund. Violins are Sieglinde, who sees him there. Now that bass line going down, you'll remember from the spear motive of Wotan. You remember the spear, bam, da, di, da, da, ba, ba, okay? This is his son. So we get it in a transformed form. Meanwhile, the rising, beautiful, rounded theme is, of course, Sieglinde. And they walk around in thirds. That is when two people can sing in harmony like that. And it's just, it's an expression of love. Two souls, or in this case, one soul brought together through that theme. So you get both of them at once. We see what's going on. Sieglinde going up. Sigmund going down. Remember the top one because you're going to hear that a lot. That is Sieglinde, all right? And then they fall in love. 
constantly modulating melody. It's going to go through all the harmonies of the world, and it's going to give us a vision of what's going to happen in Tristan and Isolde a few years later. It's love that goes from one region to another, never stopping, never settling. It's desire, it's tenderness, it's yearning. can see within two minutes we are in a totally different place than we were all of last night where it was all about gold and um, realpolitik and loga stage managing and tricking everybody and Votan figuring out how to be, how to dominate the new boy on the block who wants to dominate. that's a, now it's about now it's about love There's always a problem with love, isn't there? Every opera has it, a tenor, a soprano, and a bass, all right? And the bass is inevitably the husband, the rival, whatever it is, and of course, it's no different here. Here's Hunding, the brutal husband. This is not a love marriage. She was forced to marry him. Of course, he wants to know the story, too, or who are you? And Sieglinde is already very curious because she is very taken with him. Frankly, if you were married to Hunding, you'd like anybody who showed up at the front door. <laughs> so we get now into the first of, of many narratives. We discussed this last night. Wagner loves narratives and he needs them. And he retells stories or he tells us what we don't know. He's constantly telling us what happened then which has brought about the situation now. That's, that's what these narrations are. Remember, there are several principles in, in Wagner. You don't see the chorus anymore in the ring except for Goethe Demerung. There's no chorus in the first three operas. Why? Because he was, in his theories, he was increasingly against the idea that all these people sing or have the same feeling at the same time. Now, he goes against his own principles in Goethe Demerung for another reason. I'll tell you that next week when we get to Goethe Demerung. But you will notice that even when there are two, three, four, five people on stage, nobody ever sings a quartet like the quartet from Rigoletto or a sextet as in Lucia di Lammermoor or even like the Marriage of Figaro or Cosi Fan Tutte or Don Giovanni with the great Da Ponte operas where you have everybody singing at the same time because it was against his principles he said you cannot understand. So even when you have all those people on the stage, you rarely have more than one person singing at the same time so that you can fully understand. Now, and another device he uses is very simple. Tell me who you are and then you get a narrative for 20 minutes. You know, Siegmund will tell us who he is. He, all you have to do is ask the question, and you get the answer. Now, these narratives are very important because, A, you get a lot of information, but, B, as some of these narratives are going to be repeated, and some of these things, you're going to see them in different aspects as the ring proceeds. So even if you've heard the story tonight in Valkyria, you're going to hear a slightly different take on it when you get to Siegfried, and you're going to hear another take again on it. So this is the first of the narratives narratives here in Valkyra, Sigmund's going to tell us a story. Now, I'm not going to tell you the whole story because you're going to see it and read it and hear it up there, but I'm going to tell you that the occasional use of a motive tells us things that even he doesn't know. I'm going to show that when he refers to his father, now he did know a father who took care of him, called himself Wolf, like a wolf, but he disappeared at a certain point. Now, who is that father? Well, he That's right. You know the Valhall motive, and because Valhall is associated with 
uh, with Wotan. We now know what he doesn't know. He doesn't know that Wotan's his father, but we know it because Wagner has told us. I've often heard it said that always believe the orchestra because it tells the truth. Tragic love, the tragedy of the Velsungen race. The Velsungen are the new race, two of them, at least that we know of, who are the children of Wotan by mortal women. Now, Wotan has decided he wants a hero who is not beholden to him and can accomplish getting the ring back for Wotan. That's what he wants, but he can't seem to want it, and he can't seem to do it himself. He has to have um, plausible deniability. He's like many, many other great leaders. Get it done, but don't attach my name to it. So his big plan is to get Siegmund to get that ring back, um, and he's going to try to stage manage it. But he's fall into bad times already because of the, of course, Sieglinde and Siegmund found each other, and they have attracted the attention of Fricka, which will be their tragic. This is, Siegmund is a typical Wagnerian romantic hero. He is an outsider. He is a sufferer. He is a man of superior sensitivities who has been outside of society and is looking into society with critique, with uh, wants to be in but doesn't like what's in society. So he's there with the Flying Dutchman. He's there with Tannhäuser. He's there with so many other types of Wagnerian heroes. Now, this is the sword. It's stuck in the tree. It's been there for to be used in a time of need. That's the first glance. Sieglinde is showing it to Siegmund with her eyes. Of course, who left that sword there is... The Hunding doesn't like that. And Sieglinde continues to stare at the sword. She's sending Siegmund a message. Because Hunding has figured out that he doesn't like Siegmund, and he said, because of the laws of hospitality, you have to spend the night, but I'll slaughter you, and too bad that you don't have a weapon, I'll take care of you in the morning. But Sieglinde shows him the sword. And after they both, after Sieglinde and Hunding go out, they've, she, they've got it figured out. Now that sword is very important. It's called Notung, Not meaning need. It's gonna be there for a moment of necessity. Votan foresaw this moment, and he went and he drove that sword into the tree in the middle of Sieglinde's new home her, on her marriage day. And so that it's there to be used for whatever purpose. Well, that purpose has come now. Siegmund is there. Sieglinde needs to be protected. Siegmund has to save his own life. And there they are. That's the sword. Very important. Sieglinde comes and tells her story. Who's back there? The Valhall motive. So who was it? It was Wotan. We know something now that Sieglinde does not know, that that was Wotan. Okay? That's her father as well. Now the famous song, Winterstürmer, Siegmund is falling in love, Sieglinde is falling in love. And listen to your stop rhyme, Winterstürmer wichen dem Wondermond, in mildem Lichte leuchtet der Lenz, leicht und lieblich, wunderwebend er sich wiegt durch Wald und Auen, weht sein Atem, weit geöffnet, lacht sein Atem. And of course, Sigland is in love, too. And she answers, Du bist der Lenz, you are spring. Of course, their lives are awakening, because love is awakening. Du bist der Lenz, nachdem ich verlangte, im frostigen Winters frisst, 
Dich grüßte mein Herz mit heiligem Grauen, als dein Blick zuerst mir erblühte. Fremdes nur sah ich von je, freundlos war mir das nahe, als hätte ich nie es gekannt. So, you hear your stop rhyme in the midst of this music. Now, it's going to work itself up more and more until the point that they are able, Sieglinde is able to identify his face because she's seen it because she's heard his voice. When she calls into the distance, the echo comes back and they will recognize each other, who they are. They will sing of their bliss. Here's a theme you know from Freya last night. Hear it going up. Goddess of love at a very important moment. Just before he's going to pull that sword out, He repeats a theme we heard Alberich, with Alberich, the renunciation of love. I don't like that title, especially because of this. I don't understand, because Siegmund is not renouncing love. So I prefer to think of it as something as the tragic aspect of love. Tragic for Alberich, because he renounced love. Tragic for Siegmund, because of course it will lead to his young death. Here's Nutung, that's the sword. Falling octave, no tung. You can see again a sword-like character to that octave. And he's going to pull out the sword. There it is, it's full glory. Every young hero has to have a sword, and it's all the better if you've had to pull it out of a tree. They've recognized another, he says, Braut und Schwester, my br bride and sister. So let the Welsungen race multiply. And there they go. You hear the sword motive, masculine, ironic. It's gonna collide now. Now, this becomes the flight motive, but they're fleeing out of the house but they are really consummating the love there immediately. And you can hear it's going to go up to a climax. Here's this chord. Listen to that chord again. Dissonant chord at the climax. Dissonant, why? Moment of conception of Siegfried but dissonant because as a taboo, it enrages the heavens and therefore their love will be doomed. So when we come back after the intermission into act two, we take that motive which becomes flight. Here's mod a modification of the trumpet and you hear the violins. Comes from the Sigmund Sieglinde encounter and it becomes a new motive of flight. But now we're going to switch gears. We know that Siegmund and Sieglinde are running away from Hunding. But we're going to, we're going, now this is going to be overlapping. We're going to meet Wotan and Brynhilde because Wotan's watching. And he says to Brynhilde, there's going to be a fight between Siegmund and Hunding. And I want you to take care of Siegmund. Okay, and she's a good girl, so she's going to do that. Or so she thinks. Now here they are fleeing, but you, you'll hear your, the rhythm, which you first knew from the Rhine Maidens, then transformed into the Nibelungen, and now it is about the Valkyrie. It's also a Valkyrie theme. The famous ride of the Valkyries. So there it is, and 
in the middle of all that, you hear pounding away, which is, of course, Hunding, the pursuing husband, all right? And he's mad. All together. Nibelheim rhythm. Hunding. And here she comes. Brunhild is about to emerge. And here's Wotan. Now listen to the cellos and the basses. Just to the scale. That's the spear motive in a new motive in a new form. You'll recognize it from this. It's slow form. You just heard it in its fast form. Here it is again. Listen to the fast form. Here it is. And of course, here's the famous Hayo to Hall. Off she goes, in comes Fricka. And then we have this extraordinary scene of the confrontation of Fricka and Vota. She's angry. She's angry, but she's brilliant. And this is the Inquisitor and King Philip. This is not just a little domestic quarrel. This is when two potentates go at it with him. And of course, she wins. At the end of all that, the curse. Remember that? Albrecht's curse. Wotan's getting the point. Although he is not in possession of the ring, it still is an implication of the, the ring has gotten him into this jam. Then comes Wotan's narrative. Um, this is his frustration and his despair. You can hear it's now serpentine going down, but that's his spear. His spear has been weakened. His spear has been, it's not broken yet. And you hear his, 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 him going down into the depths there, lower instruments. Now he's going to tell the whole story to Brynhilde. Brynhilde says, talk to me, I'm nothing but your will. And he tells the whole story how he got into this big mess. Follow carefully. You're going to hear all of your motives. You heard them last night. So they're going to be fresh in your mind. You're going to hear how Wotan is caught in a vice now. He wants power back. He wants to protect Sigmund, but he can't because Fricke really convinced him that he can't. But Brunhilde, what does she take out of this? She takes out that my father said I shall not defend Sigmund, but it is really his will that Siegmund be defended, and therefore I will do that because I love my father and I am his will. Fatal decision, because it will, of course, rend the relationship, but on the other hand, it is destiny because Brunilda will become fully human. And here it is, Wotan's bad. Mounting. And when he finishes that whole thing, he's mad at her because she's potentially disobedient. He goes storming off. She goes to a, a watch events. Siegmund and Sieglinde come running in, exhausted. Sieglinde falls into a full faint. Siegmund protects her. And then something terribly important happens. Sieg Brunilde appears to him. Here it is. 
destiny, fate. You hear how it opens up. Two simple chords and a, one more note, and opens up the universe. Fate is the future or the end of time. Whatever it is, it opens up into some unknown form. Brynhilde appears in the night to Sigmund and said, it's your time, I'm taking you to Valhalla. Remember, that's what the Valkyries do. They take the heroes to Valhalla so that they can be with the gods. And, uh, you know, just imagine this extraordinary being coming to you and saying, you know, tonight's the night, but you're going to heaven. And you're going to Memphis. And then something extraordinary happens. Siegmund starts to ask her a thousand questions. Well, what's it like? What do you do there? And she saw it's great. You know, Voltan's there, the heroes are there. There are wish-made maidens who will do whatever you want for them. You know, all of that, all that. And then he has one question. Can I bring Sieglinde? He wants to bring a date, you know? <laughs> no, you cannot bring Sieglinde. Well, why not? Can't bring Sieglinde. He said, well, then, Grusumia Votan. Grusumia Valhalla. Say hi to Valhalla. Say hi to Votan. Tell them I'm not coming. Wow. They have never heard this. This is the potency of what Wagner's belief in love. This is human love. So powerful that this man will give up heaven for this woman and this love. Brunhilde has never seen anything like that. And by that, she is inspired to say, go out, I will protect you in the fight. In other words, this is the beginning of the new humanity. It's not about the laws. It's not about the struggle for power. It is for the celebration of deep and true love, not just love of the body, love with soul, the complete soul, body, intellect, the full human being. So, now of course, it's all not going to work out, right? Never does. Here comes Bunding with his dogs, that's his horn, singing the Wehe, he's now Wehwald, Wehwald, that's a new name. That's a new name. He get the, he's, the, he's heard that from Siegmund. There's, you heard whoa, remember from yesterday? Whoa, whoa, there's Hunding. Confrontation, Hunding's theme. And the Valkyrie theme is going to come in here. Here comes Brunhilde to protect him. And in a flash, Wotan is in. The sword theme, Notal. The spear coming up. Here's Votan. He breaks Notung, and so Hunding is able to stab Siegmund. It's all happened in a flash. Siegmund is dead. Sieglinde is abandoned. Brunhilde will take Sieglinde together with the pieces of the sword and will bring her into the forest. More on that in a moment. Hunding will look for the pleasure of Wotan, and Wotan dismisses him contemptuously. He says, go tell Fricka, kneel in front of Fricka, and tell her what has happened. Hunding drops dead. Can only happen in a music drama, but this tough, mean guy drops dead. Why? Because if God personally told you that, you'd drop dead too. And so he does. Okay, so now we are in familiar territory. You know this. 
the ride of the Valkyries. There they all are. Nine minus one. Brynhild is not there because she's been up to other things. And, you know, the Valkyries are allowed to sing together like a chorus because they are one entity. Like the three Rhine maidens could sing together because they are one entity. The chorus will be allowed to sing in Gürtedämmerung as one entity. Here's a new theme. Siegfried the hero. You heard that a lot in Gürtedämmerung. And... Redemption through love will be introduced by Sieglinde now and not come back until the end of Goethe Demerung. Redemption through love. She has conceived Siegfried. She will die in childbirth and Siegfried will be born together with the pieces of that sword. More on that in Siegfried. And now, a lot of raging on the part of Wotan, defense on the part of Brynhilde. She said, I only performed your will. You wanted this. He said, yes, but I commanded you to do the opposite. I commanded you not to defend Siegmund, and you defended him. And she says, yes, but you know yourself you wanted that. And I understand your will and can read beyond your words. Well, she has to be punished anyway. Her punishment will be that she will be put at the top of a mountain there to sleep and to become human. This is, of course, a very important symbolic act. She will lose her status as god or goddess. She will become fully human to redeem the world. Now, it's not his idea that she'll redeem the world. It's her idea that gradually dawns in her. Now, many religions and mythologies have reference to this, and of course, Christianity is based on the whole idea that a god has assumed the role of a human, and through that, humanity will redeem humanity. Here we are now. You'll see that all of the music now turns tender. Listen to the woodwind instruments. She's becoming human, or will become human. You hear a motive, which is a scale. And then it should go bomb, but it goes up. Now, what is that? It's Wotan. It's the spear. Now the spear motive has been turned around in a loving motive. Brunhilde, his daughter, through her love, is going to bring love to a loveless world. And that's why she's a heroine. She sings it, and then the orchestra is going to sing it. And this is where I say the orchestra never lies. The most sublime moment in the last act of Valkyrie is when the orchestra intones that motive, when Wotan kisses his daughter, and he says, so do I kiss your godliness away. In other words, he must let his daughter go. The most tender, most tender, most moving moment, and especially on Father's Day to any of us who happen to be fathers of daughters. There he goes. Now listen to it.
second iteration. This is a variation of the nature of the Rhine Maiden theme. In other words, she now becomes associated not with the gods, but with nature. From now on, Brunhilde belongs to nature. She belongs to humanity, and she eventually will ally herself with the Rhine Maidens to get that ring back. But no one's thinking about that ring at this moment. Love has completely taken over this entire drama. All he's got to do now is to put her to sleep because she's got to lie there for many years. Uh, she is put into magic slumber, and here it is. Quiet, magic, tranquil. He calls now on Loga. Loga, you remember Loga? The agent of fire, the lawyer from Rheingold. Here's Loga. Magic fire. Loga comes up with a fabulous fire. Rings the entire mountain. She's going to be up there forever. Guess who's going to come and wake her up? Siegfried, exactly. And that comes up in a few days. But she's going to be there for 20 years, sleeping on that mountain. There she is. utter tranquility. So we had one act that ended up in erotic exultation. We had another one that ends up, ended up with the God's rage. And we have this last one, which ends with the most sublime, moving tranquility, preparing Brunhilde for a 20-year nap on the top of that mountain. When she, comes, when she gets awakened, it's the beginning of human love in its fullest form. Enjoy it today. This is a great, great opera. And see you at Siegfried. This podcast was co-produced by Rebecca Stewart. You've been listening to LA Opera's Behind the Curtain. Thank you, and see you at the opera.